Ashley Brock here. At this book that I'm about to read, it's Tough to Tame, or you can get it as Bentley. And it's actually book... Harley Fowler's book was the one I just read. Or by his other name, The Maverick. And it was book 38. And Dangerous, I have that book. It's technically supposed to be book 39. But in that book, it gives away what book 40 is about. Kind of like with the long list book, gave away the ending to the Leo book. So instead of doing that this time, I'm going to read book 40 first, which is Tough to Tame, or a.k.a. Bentley. And then, then read Dangerous, because... It just seems like it's smarter that way. I don't know why she wrote them backwards. Uh, but I'm going to read Tough to Tame first. And then Dangerous. So here is Diane Palmer's book. Tough to Tame or A.K.A. Bentley. Chapter 1. Cappy Drake peered around a corner inside the veterinarian practice where she worked. Her soft gray eyes wide with apprehension. She was looking for the boss, Dr. Bentley Rydell. Just lately, he'd been on the warpath, and she'd been the target for most of the sarcasm and harassment. She was the newest employee in the practice. Her predecessor, Antonia, had resigned and run for the hills last month. He's gone to lunch, came an amused whisper from behind her. Cappy jumped. Her colleague, Keely Welsh Sinclair, was grinning at her. The young woman, 19 to Cappy's 23, was only recently married to Dishy Boone Sinclair, but she kept her job at the veterinary clinic despite her lavish new lifestyle. She loved animals, so did Cappy, but she'd been wondering if love of animals was enough to put up with Bentley Rattle. <laughs> I lost the packing slip for the heartworm medicine. Cappy said with gross. I know, it's here, somewhere. But he was yelling, and I got flustered and couldn't find it. He said terrible things to me. It's Autumn, Kaylee said. Cappy frowned. Excuse me? It's Autumn, she repeated. The older woman was staring blankly at her. Kaylee shrugged. Every autumn, Dr. Rydell gets even more short-tempered than usual, and he goes missing for a week. He doesn't leave a telephone number in case of emergencies. He doesn't call here, and nobody knows where he is. When he comes back, he never says where he's been. He's been like this since I was hired, Cappy pointed out. I'm the fifth new vet tech this year. Dr. King said so. Dr. Rydell ran the others off. <laughs> you have to yell back or just smile when he gets wound up, Keely said in a kindly tone. Cappy grins. I never yell at anybody. This is a good time to learn. In fact, where the hell is my rain, my damn raincoat? Cappy's face was sudden in horror. He said he went to lunch. Obviously, he came back, Keely replied Wincy. The boss stormed into the waiting room where two shocked old ladies were sitting. Beside cat carriers, Dr. Bentley Rydell was tall, over six feet, with pale blue eyes that took on a glimmer of steel when he was angry. He had jet black hair, thick and usually untidy because his rant. He ran his fingers through it in times of frustration. His feet were large like his hand. His nose had been broken at some point, which only gave his angular face more character. He wasn't conventionally handsome, but women found him very attractive. He didn't find them attractive. There was a more notorious woman hater than Bentley Rattle in all Jacobs County, Texas, who would be hard to find him. My raincoat, he repeated, glaring at Cappy as if it were her fault that he left without it. Cappy drew herself up to her full height. Top of her head barely came to Bentley's shoulder. Took a deep breath. Sir, she said smiling, your raincoat is in the closet where you left it. 
His dark eyebrows rose half a foot. Captain cleared her throat, shook her head as if to clear it. The motion dislodged her precociously placed barrette. Her long, thick blonde hair shook free of it, swirling around her shoulders like a curtain of silk. While she was debating her next impossible job, any went. he was staring at her hair. She always wore it up on top of her head in that stupid ponytail. He hadn't realized it was long. His pale eyes narrowed as he studied it keenly fascinated, managed not to stare. Certainly the other ladies watching funny. Mrs. Ross, if you'll bring she looked at her clipper Lovey, the cat on back, we'll see about her shots. Mrs. Ross, a tiny little woman, smiled and pulled her rolling cat carrier along with her, casting a whisper eye. Back at the taboo, she was reluctantly going. Doctor Rydell? Happy prop because he was really staring. He scrawled suddenly blinked. It's raining, he said shortly. Sir, that is not my fault, she said. I do not control the weather. A likely story, he huffed. Turned on his heel, went to the closet, jerked his coat out, displacing everyone else's, and stormed out the door into the pouring rain. And I hope you melt, Cappy muttered under her breath. I heard that, Bentley Rattle called without looking back. Cappy flushed and moved back behind the counter, trying not to meet Gladys, Gladys Hawkins' eyes because the old lady was almost crying. She was laughing so hard. There, there, Dr. King, the long-married senior veterinarian, said with a gentle smile. She patted Cappy on the shoulder. You've done well. By the time she's been, by the time she'd been here a month, Antonio was crying in the bathroom at least twice a day, and she never talked back to Dr. Rydell. I've never worked in such a place, Cappy said blankly. I mean, most veterinarians are like you. They're nice and professional, and they don't yell at the staff. And, of course, the staff doesn't yell. Yes, they do, Keely piped in chuckling. My husband made the remark that I was a glorified groomer, and the next time he came in, our groomer gave him an earful about just what a groomer does. Secret opened his eyes. They do a lot more than clip fur, Dr. King agreed. There are eyes and ears in between exams. Many times our groomers have saved lives by noticing some small problem that could have turned fatal. Your husband is a dish. Cappy so keely, shyly keely. Yes, he is, but he's opinionated, hard-headed, and temperamental with it. He was a tough one to tame, I'll bet. Dr. King mused. Keely for Not half as tough as Dr. Rido is going to be. Amen. I pity the poor woman who takes him on. Trust me, she hasn't been born yet, Keely replied. He likes you, Cappy said. I don't challenge him, Keely said, smile. And I'm younger than most of the staff. He thinks of me as a child. Cappy's eyes bulge. Cappy patted her Some people do. The smile faded. Keely was remembering her mother, who'd been killed. By a friend of Keeley's father, the whole town had been talking about it. Keeley had landed well, though, in Boone Sinclair's Claire's strong eyes. I'm sorry about your mother, Cappy said gently. We all were. Thanks, Keeley replied. We were just getting to know one another when she was killed. My father plea bargained himself down to a short jail term, but I don't think he'll be back this way. He's too afraid of Sheriff Haynes. Now there's a real dish, Cappy said. Handsome, brave, suicidal, Keeley injected. Excuse me? He's been shot twice walking in the gun. He's been shot twice walking in the gun battles, Dr. King explained. No guts, no glory, Cappy said. Her companions chuckled. The phone rang. Another customer walked in, and the conversations turned to business. Cappy went home late. It was Friday, and the place was packed with clients. Nobody escaped before 6.30, not even the poor groomer who'd spent half a day on a Siberian husky. The animals had thick undercoats, and it was... A job to wash and brush them out. Dr. Rido had been snippier than usual, too. Clarina, Cappy, as if she were responsible for the overflow of patients. Cappy, is that you?
Her brother called from the bedroom. It's me, cow. She called back. She put down her rain cook and purse and walked into the small, sparse bedroom where her older brother lay surrounded by magazines and books and a small laptop computer he managed to smile for. Bad day, she asked gently, sitting down beside of him on the bed softly so that she didn't worsen the pain. He only nodded. His face taunt the only sign of the pain that ate him alive every hour of the day. A journalist, he'd been an overseas assignment for a magazine when he was caught in a firefight and wounded by sharp mail. It had lodged in his spine where it was too dangerous for even the most advanced surgery. The doctors and said some day the sharp mail might shift into a location where it can be operable. But until then, Kel was basically paralyzed from the waist down. Oddly, the magazine hadn't provided any sort of health care coverage for him, and equally oddly, he insisted that he wasn't going to court to force them to pay up. Cappy had wondered at her brother being in such a profession in the first place. He'd been in the Army for several years. When he came out, he'd become a journalist. He made an extraordinary living from it. She mentioned that to a friend in the newspaper business who'd been astonished. Most magazines didn't pay that well, he, no he noted. I and Kell's new Jaguar. Well, at least they had Kel's savings to keep them going, even if it did so did so frigidly now. After he paid the worst of the medical bills, her major salary, although good, barely kept the utilities turned on and food in the Asian refrigerator. Taking your pain meds? She asked. He nodded. Not helping? Not a lot. Not today, anyway. He added with a forced grin. He was good-looking, with thick, short hair, even blonder than hers, and those pale, silver-gray eyes. He was tall and muscular, or he had been before he'd been wounded. He was in a wheelchair now. Some day they'll be able to operate, she said. He sighed a manager's mom. Before I die of old age, maybe. Stop that, she turned softly and bit the kisses for You have to have hope. I guess. Want something to eat? He shook his head. Not hungry. I can make Southwest corn soup. It was his favorite. He gave her his um, impacting your life. There are places for ex-military where I could stay. No! She exploded. Him. Says, it isn't right. You'll never find a man who'll take you on with all this baggage. He began. We've had this agreement, argument for several months already. She pointed out. Yes, since you gave up your job and moved back here with me after I got wounded if our cousin hadn't died and left us this place we wouldn't even have a roof over our heads stark as it is it's killing me watching you trying to cope don't be melodramatic she tried kill all we have is each other she had someone don't ask me to throw you out on the street so i can have a social life i don't even like men much don't you remember i remember why mostly she flushed. Now, Cal, she said we'd promise we wouldn't talk about that anymore. He could have killed you. He could. I had to browbeat you just to make you press charges. She averted her eyes. Her old boy, her one boyfriend in her adult life had turned out to be a homicidal maniac when he drank. First time it happened, Frank Bartlett had grabbed Cappy's arm and left a black bruise. Kel advised her to get away from him, but she infatuated and rationalizing said that he hadn't meant it. Kel knew better, but he couldn't convince her. On their fourth date, the boy had taken her to a bar, had a few drinks, and when she gently tried to get him to stop, he dragged her outside and lit into her. The other patrons had come to her rescue, and one of them had driven her home the boy had come back shamefaced and crying begging for one more chance kel put his foot down and said no but cappy was in love and wouldn't listen they were watching a movie at the rented house when she asked him about his drinking problem he lost his temper and started hitting her with hardly any provocation at all kel managed to get into his wheelchair and into the living room with nothing more than a lamp base as a weapon he knocked the lunatic off cappy and onto the floor she was dazed and bleeding but he told her how to tie the boy's thumbs together behind his back which she'd done while Kel picked
picked up his cell phone and called for law enforcement. Cabe had gone to the hospital and the boy had gone to jail for assault. With a broken arm and a sling, Cappy had testified against him with Kel beside her in court as moral support. The sentence, even so, hadn't been extreme. The boy drew six months jail time and a year's probation. He also swore vengeance. Kel took the threat a great deal more seriously than Cappy had. The brother and sister had a distant cousin who lived in Commercial Wells, Texas. He died a year ago, but the probation of the will had dragged on. Three months ago, Cal had a letter informing her Cal had a letter informing her that he and Cappy were inheriting a small house in a postage stamp sized yard, but it was at least a place to live. Cappy had been uncertain about uprooting from uprooting them from San Antonio, but Cal had been strangely insistent. He had a friend in nearby Jacobsville who was an acquaintance Equating with a local veterinarian, Cappy could get a job there working as a veterinary technician, so she'd given in. She hadn't forgotten the boy. It had been a wretch because he was her first real love. Fortunately for her, the relationship hadn't progressed past hot kisses and a little petting, although he wanted it to. That had been another sticking point. Cappy's impeccable morals. She was out of touch with the modern world. He accused for from living with her overprotective big brother for so long she needed to loosen up easy to say but cappy didn't want a casual relationship and she said so when he drank more than usual he said it was her fault that he got drunk and hit her because she kept him so frustrated well he was entitled to his opinion cappy didn't share it He'd seemed like the nicest, gentlest sort of man when she first met him. His sister had brought her dog to the veterinarian practice where cappy worked he'd been sitting in the truck Letting his sister wrangle a huge German Shepherd dog back outside when he'd seen Cappy, he jumped out and helped. His sister had seemed surprised. Cappy didn't notice. After it was over, Cappy had found that at least two of her acquaintances had been subjected to the same sort of abuse by their own boyfriends. Some had been lucky like Cappy and disentangled themselves from the abuser. Others were trapped by fear into relationships they didn't even want. It was hard, she decided, to tell them by appearance what men would be like when they got you alone. At least Dr. Ryder was obviously violent and dangerous. She told herself not that she wanted anything to do with him socially. What was that? Kel asked. Oh, I was thinking about one of my bosses. She can find Dr. Rattle was a holy terror. I'm scared to death of him. He's crying. Surely he isn't like Frank Bartlett. No, she said quickly. I don't think he'd ever hit a woman. He really isn't the sort. He just blusters and rages and curses. He loves animals. He called the police on a man who brought in a little dog with cuts and bruises all over him. The man had beaten the dog and pretended it had fallen downstairs. Dr. Rydell knew better. He testified against the man and he went to jail. Good for Dr. Rydell. He's my... If he's that nice to animals, he isn't likely the sort of person who'd hit a woman. He had to agree. I was told by my friend that Rido was a good sort to work for. He found your boyfriend kicked your cat on your first date. She goes, and I made excuses for him. Not long after that, her cat had vanished. She often wondered what had happened to him, but he returned after her boyfriend left. Frank was so handsome, so eligible. She added quickly, I guess I was flattered that a man like that would look twice at me. I'm no beauty. You are inside. You're a nice brother. How about that soup? He's on. I'll eat it if you'll fix it. I'm sorry about the way I am. 
Like you can help it, she muttered and smiled. I'll get it started. He watched her walk away thoughtfully. She brought in a tray and had her soup with him. There were just the two of them all alone in the world. Their parents had died long ago when she was ten. Co, who'd been amazingly athletic and healthy in those days, had simply taken over and been a substitute parent to her. He'd been in the military and they traveled all over the world. A good deal of her education had been completed through correspondent courses. Although she'd seen a lot of the world, now Kel thought he was a burden. But what had she been for all those long years when he sacrificed his own social life to raise a heartbroken kid? She owed him a lot. She only wished she could do more for him. She reminded him in his she remembered him in his uniform, an officer, so dignified and commanding. Now he was largely confined to bed or that wheelchair. It wasn't even a motorized one because they couldn't afford it. He did continue to work in his own fashion at crafting a novel. It was an adventure based on some knowledge he'd acquired from his military background and a few friends who worked, he said, in covert ops. How's the book coming? She asked him. Actually, I think it's going very well. I spoke to a buddy of mine in Washington about some new political strategies and robotic welfare innovations. And you know everybody, he made a face. I know almost everybody, he said. I'm afraid the phone bill will be out of sight again this month. Plus, I had to order some more books on Africa for the research. She gave him a look of pain. I don't care. You accomplished so much. He said something more than a lot of people in much better shape physically. I don't sleep as much as most people do, he said warily, so I can work longer hours. You need to talk to Dr. Coltrane about something to make you sleep, he said. I did. He gave me a prescription. What you didn't get filled, she accused Connie at the pharmacy, told on you. We don't have the money right now, he said gently. I'll manage it's always money, she said miserably. I wish I was talented and smart like you. Maybe I could get a better paying job. You're good at what you do, he platform. And you love your work. Believe me, it's a lot more important than making a big paycheck, I should know. She sighed as she sipped her soup. I guess, she gave him a quick glance. But it would help with the bills. My book is going to make us millions, he told her with a grin. At the top of the New York Times bestseller list, I'll be in demand for talk shows and we'll be able to buy a new car. Up to Miss Seekus. Hey, without hope, we uh, what have we got? What's wrong with Unpainted walls, cracks in the paint, a car with 200,000 miles on it, and a leaky roof. Oh, darn, she might have followed his gaze to the yellow spot on the ceiling. I'll bet another one of those stupid nails worked its way out of the tin. I wish we could have afforded a shingled roof. Well, tin is cheaper and it looks nice. She looked at him meanwhile. It's cheap anyway, he persisted. Don't you like the sound of rain on a tin roof? Just listen. It's like music. It was like a tin drum, she pointed out, but he just laughed. She smiled. I guess you're right. It's better not to wish we had more than we do. We'll get by, Kel. She sure We always do. At least we're in it together, he agreed. But you should think about the military home. After I'm dead and buried, you can go into a home, she sure. For now, you just eat your soup and hush. He smiled. Okay. She smiled back. He was the nicest big brother in the whole world, and she wasn't abandoning him while there was a breath in her body. It had stopped raining when she got to work the next morning. She was glad she hadn't wanted to get out of bed at all. There was something magical about lying in the bed with rain coming down, all safe and cozy and warm, but she wanted to keep her job. She couldn't do both. She put her raincoat in the closet with a long arm, presented itself over her shoulder, and deposited a bigger raincoat there. Hang that, uh, hang that up for me, please, Dr. Rydell said gruffly. Yes, sir. She fumbled it onto a hanger while she closed the door and turned. He's still standing there.
Is something wrong, sir? She has fallen He was wrong. No. <laughs> but he looked as if he had the weight of the world on his shoulders. She knew how that felt because she loved her brother and she couldn't help him. Her soft gray eyes looked up into his pale blue eyes. When life gives you lemons, make lemonade. She ventured to laugh, escaped the stock Well, What the hell would you know about lemonades at your age? She asked. It isn't the age, Dr. Idol, she said. It's the mileage. If I were a car, they'd have to decorate me with solid gold accessories just to get me out of the lot. His eyes softened just a little. I suppose I'd be in a junkyard. She laughed quickly, controlling it. Sorry. Why? It's sort of hard to talk to, she confessed. He drew a long breath just for a minute. He looked oddly vulnerable. I'm not used to people. I deal with them in the practice, but I live alone. I have most of my life, he frowned. Your brother lives with you, doesn't he? Why doesn't he work? She tightened up. He was overseas covering a war, and a bomb exploded nearby. He got sharp now in the spine, and they can't operate. He's paralyzed from the waist down. He knows. That's a hell of a way to end up in a wheelchair. Tell me about it, she agreed quietly. He was in the military for years, but he got tired of dragging me all over the world, so he mustered out and got a job working for this magazine. Said it would mean he wouldn't be gone so much, she said. I guess he was in, but he's in a lot of pain and they can't do much for it. She looked up at him. It's hard to watch. For an instant, some fellow feeling flared in his eyes. Yes, it's easier to hurt yourself than to watch someone you love battle pain. His face softened as he looked down at her. You take care of him. She smiled. Yes, well, as much as he'll let me. Anyway, took care of me from the age of ten when our parents died in a wreck. He wants me to let him go into some sort of military home, but I'll never do that. He looked very thoughtful and sad. He looked as if he barely, badly needed someone to talk to, but he had nobody. She knew that. Life is hard, she said gently. Then you die. He had a man as well. Back to work, Mr. Drake. He has Your name, Cappy. What's it short for? She hesitated. She bit her little look. Come on. He coaxed. She drew a breath. Capella, she said. His eyebrows went up. The star. She laughed, delighted. Most people had no idea what it meant. Yes. One of your parents was an astronomy buff. He guessed. No, my mother was an astronomer and my father was an astrophysics, she corrected, beaming. He worked for NASA for a while. He burst his lips. Brainy people. Don't worry, it didn't rub off on me. Kel got all the talent. In fact, he's writing a book on an adventure novel. She's my, I just know it's going to be a blockbuster. He'll rake in the money, and then we won't have to worry about money for medicine and health care. Health care. He huffed. It's a joke. People going without food to buy pills. Without clothes to afford gas. Having to choose between essentials and no help anywhere to change things. She was surprised at his attitude. Most people seemed to think that healthcare was available to everybody. Actually, she could only afford basic coverage for herself. If she had, if it had a major medical emergency, she'd have to be have to beg for help from the state. She hoped she couldn't get could even get it. It still amazed her that Kel's employers hadn't offered him healthcare benefits. We don't live in a perfect society. She agreed. No. Nowhere near it. She wanted to ask him why he was so outspoken on the issue, which hit home for her, too, but before she could overcome her shyness, the phones were suddenly ringing off the hook, and three new four-legged patients walked in the door with owners. One of them, a big boxer, made a beeline for a small poodle whose owner had come in without a leash. Grab him, Cabby called, diving after the boxer. Dr. Rottle followed her, gripping the boxer's lead. Firmly, he pulled it up. 
just enough to establish control and held it so the dog's head was erect. Down, sir, he said in a commanding tone. Sit. The boxer sat at once, so did all the pet owners. Captain burst out laughing. Dr. Rattle gave her a speaking glance, turned, and led the boxer back to the patient rooms without a single word. End of chapter one.